0: All right, imagine with me that you're reading the newspaper and you come across this article. Man, 91, dies waiting for the will of God. Tupelo, Missouri. Walter Houston, described by family members as a devoted Christian, died Monday after waiting 70 years for God to give him clear direction about what to do with his life. He hung around the house and prayed a lot, but... Just never got that confirmation, his wife, Ruby says. Sometimes he thought he heard God's voice, but then he wouldn't be sure and he'd start the process all over again. Houston, she says, never really figured out what his life was about, but felt content to pray continuously about what he might do for the Lord. Whenever he was about to take action, he would pull back. Because he didn't want to disappoint God or go against him in any way, Ruby says. He was very sensitive to always remaining in God's will. That was primary to him. Friends say they liked Walter, though he seemed not to capitalize on his talents. Walter had a number of skills he never got around to using, says longtime friend Timothy Burns. He worked very well with Wood and had a storyteller side to him too. I always told him, take a risk. Try something new if you're not happy. But he was too afraid of letting the Lord down. To his credit, they say, Houston, who worked mostly as a handyman, was able to pay off the mortgage on the couple's modest home. Okay, so obviously that was an imaginary news article. But I wonder what comes to mind for you when you hear something like that. This was an article from a Christian uh, comedy site called Lark News, and I came across it in this book, Just Do Something?, by Kevin DeYoung, a book on kind of decision-making and God's will. But the reason I bring it up is because I think in it, it kind of contains a good warning for us. We've been going through a series on the work of the Holy Spirit in and through the church. And we're at our last week on that, actually. So today we're going to take a bit of time to reflect and to remember some of the things and the important things we've learned through our series. But I brought up this story as a way of, kind of by introduction, to get us thinking about a certain reality of our conversation. And I think maybe a good warning on one side, but also words of encouragement on another side for us to consider today because the truth is we don't want to be like walter because walter for him this was a story of someone who had a lot of gifts from the spirit who had a lot of potential and obviously the spirit would have loved to use walter to bless those around him with those gifts but for whatever reason whether it was fear or reluctance paul or sorry walter didn't follow through. He he didn't actualize his potential. He didn't utilize what the Spirit gave him. And, and so he never got to experience these gifts in his life. And when we look at that, we've learned a lot about the importance of living by the Spirit. Paul tells us that again and again. The Apostle Paul tells us that we need to live by the Spirit. Today we're talking about how That's a choice that each of us, individually and collectively, we need to make in our local communities, each generation. We have to decide to live by the Spirit, because when we do the gift of the Spirit and all the amazing things that the Spirit wants to do in and through us, that's available to us, and we'll see it happen in our midst, but there's another side to this there is the possibility of us rejecting the Spirit's work or hindering the Spirit's work. Because this isn't an autopilot thing. It's not an automatic thing where we can just sit back and watch the Spirit go. No, we are called to participate in this as well. And that happens when we live by the Spirit. So we're talking about that today, and we're talking about that as a way of kind of reminding us our part to play in this as a word of maybe warning, but also encouragement, as we're going to see near the end of today's message. Now, before we jump into that part, to to lead up to it, I wanted to take some time to reflect, to review on what we've been learning through this time, because I think there's a lot of good stuff here that we've been talking about. So let's bring some of these things together. We started out by talking about the church, the the nature and purpose of the church. Because we, we talked about how the Holy Spirit, one of the main things the Holy Spirit is doing now is building a community, a community of people who serve God and who are united by God's presence through the Spirit. And the first week we talked about how we are part of, the church is part of a long line of people that God has used as part of his rescue mission, going all the way back to Abraham. And we are the church because of the gift of the Spirit, which is God's special presence in our midst. We also talked about some of the ways that we can envision the church. Because how we envision things, how we imagine things, it really impacts how we value them, how we approach them, and kind of what we do in relation to them. So it's really important for us to imagine and envision the church in accurate and healthy ways. And the Apostle Paul, we talked about, he gives us three great pictures for, to help us with that. The first was that the church, we are God's family, and each of us are God's children because of the Spirit. And so we are called to act like that, to live according to God's values, to live like Jesus, who were part of his family, to live like our Heavenly Father. Secondly, we are also described as the, the temple of God by the Spirit. And we learned that we are part of the building project, where we are building up the temple of God together. So we really need to value the church in that way because of it, because of that. Thirdly, we learned that we are also the body of Christ, and Christ is our head and we talked about how that, on the one hand, we're meant to be then a foretaste, kind of a, a symbol, a sign of what God wants to do with all humanity. Also, we learned there that each of us then has roles and parts to play in all of this and in, in terms of helping the body mature and become all that God wants it to be well. Knowing the nature of the church is really important, but it's also important to know the purpose, the purpose of the church. And when we talked about that, we learned that we can boil it down to this that we're called to be witnesses to Jesus. We're called to be a witness to Jesus, and we do that through words, through spirit empowered actions, and also through our character, who we are, what the spirit is doing, how the spirit is transforming us to have a very special. Character. Having talked about those things, we moved into the work of the Spirit. We moved into the gifts of the Spirit. And the reason why we started out with the church and moved to those rather than starting with those is because I was really hoping, and I'm really hoping that the emphasis is clear. It's all about community. Because sometimes when we talk about the gifts of the Spirit, it can seem like the emphasis is about each of us as individuals. But no, we talked about how when it comes to the work of the Spirit, the big thing the Spirit is concerned with is the character of the church. You know, drawing from that point I just mentioned, the the Holy Spirit wants to shape us to have the character of God, to have God's righteousness, God's goodness, and in other words, so that we truly resemble God. Christ. And all the works of the Spirit in our midst are for that purpose. So when we talk about the gifts of the Spirit, the roles that we have, the callings that we have within the church, the the charismatic gifts, the manifestations of the Spirit, all of that, those amazing things that, that bring power into our lives, that's all about building up the church, transforming the church, shaping the church to have God's character. Well, with that in mind, then we looked at some responsibilities and roles that each of us have to play. And here, mindset is really important. We talked about how each of us, you know, as Christians, how we envision ourselves in relation to the church is really important, especially at like the core identity level. And we talked about how each of us as followers of Christ, we come to have an ecclesial identity an identity that's really wrapped up in the church, in community, and we are now kind of defined by our relationship to our community. And we, were, we talked about how we take the Trinity as our model, as our example in that regard. So each of us, we aren't really on these individual projects where we're defining ourselves. No, we're on a community building project where we are together exploring our community identity, our ecclesial identity. And last week, that led us into a conversation about unity, because all of this isn't possible unless we are unified, unless we are being shaped by the Spirit to have the same mind, the mind of Christ, as we learned. So each of us were called to work toward unity and to do our best to mend division, to to not cause division. All right, so that's what we've learned in, in very brief form. Now, when we bring it all together like that, I hope you see just how incredible of a gift that the Spirit really is, a gift to us as the church, and how incredible the church is, what the Spirit is doing, in terms of how the church is meant to be a gift to the world. But, as I mentioned earlier, there's something that we need to keep in mind in this. There is um, something that we have to remember as part of this. Because all that we've talked about, we can consider them, we consider it gifts um, of the Holy Spirit, which is the gift. But as I said earlier, this isn't an automatic thing, an autopilot thing. What is up to each of us, collectively, individually, is that we decide to live by the Spirit. The apostle paul mentions that so many times and we talked about in one of our one of our weeks what that can we can kind of spell that out and, and how that fleshes out so I would encourage you to go back and, and take a look at that but it's up to us to decide to live by the spirit in each generation in each local church we have to decide to do that and when I say that if, if you're like me then you wonder okay, why is that the case? Why wouldn't God just kind of take more control of this and just do it, just transform communities? We know the Holy Spirit is powerful, so why isn't? Why would it be the case that God would involve us to this degree where we can hinder the Spirit's work, where we can even block the Spirit's work? When I'm part of Uh, A community when and when that's not happening, or you know, I've been part of you know growing up through the church. You just kind of see, and we see in the news today how some churches are acting. It's kind of like, why not Holy Spirit? Why not just take control? Well, I've been helped by the thought and realization that the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit's work, is very much in line with Jesus's work, and we need to keep that in mind and. I'd like to take a moment to explore that before we kind of talk about some more things that are, that are important within all this. Now, at the risk of over-quoting him, I want to give you one more quote from David Yago, which has helped me a lot in this regard. David Yago, a theologian who I've been drawing a lot from his systematic theology. But listen to this quote. Here's what he says about the work of the Spirit in and through the church. He says this, This union in action of the Spirit with the church could well be described as a kenosis, a self-emptying, parallel to the kenosis of the Son. There by kenosis, he's talking about how Jesus took on the limitations of being human, the weaknesses and limitations. So there was a self-emptying process that he went through. You can read about it in Philippians chapter 2. Here uh, Yago goes on. He says, "As the incarnate Son could be abused and murdered, so the Spirit can be resisted, grieved, and even quenched. The gift of the Spirit is not a guarantee that renders the struggle for faithfulness unnecessary. The gift of the Spirit—it's not this automatic thing that will just automatically bring about these gifts in in communities." But the gift of the Spirit is a promise that the struggle will never fail or be in vain in the church. Overall, God's going to make sure that his purposes happen. But when it comes to each local community, there's still that struggle for faithfulness. But on God's part, he's always faithful. So that comparison there between the Spirit and Jesus, that for me is a really powerful one and it really helps me a lot, actually. When I think about Jesus, it never ceases to amaze me, the thought of Jesus taking on humanness, taking on the limitations and the weaknesses that come from being human. And that means, as Diego says, that Jesus subjected himself to the the possibilities of being insulted, of being rejected, being abused and even murdered. and We know that these things happened to him. He subjected himself to those things willingly. And, you know, a big part of that, I think, is out of love. It's because God really wants a relationship with each of us and with his church. And that can only happen if we have the opportunity to freely choose to love God in return. So God came in a way that would make that possible. But that also means the possibility of rejection. And Iago's point is that the Spirit has come in a way that's true to the character of Christ. The Spirit has come into the church and is working in the church. The mission of the Spirit is similar to Christ's in that it involves a kenosis, a self-emptying of the Spirit. The Spirit, as the Holy Spirit, has power unimaginable to make anything happen. But in its work, in the Spirit's work, sorry, through and in and through the church, he takes on limitations. There's a self-emptying there. That means that because of this self-emptying, because of this, the nature of the Spirit's mission, on our part, you know, we participate now. We can choose positively or negatively, in response to the Spirit's work in our midst. And let's take a little bit to explore what the Bible says about that negative side, the possibility of rejection and hindering the Spirit's work. As Diego says, we can resist the Spirit. The Apostle Paul talks about this in Galatians chapter 5. There, especially, he talks about it in verses 16 to 17, which I'll read for you but i say this is paul speaking live or walk by the spirit and you will not carry out the desires of the flesh for the flesh has desires that are opposed to the spirit and the spirit has desires that are opposed to the flesh for these are in opposition to one another to each other paul talks about living by the spirit in many places as we've we've talked about that but when we and when we live by the spirit we're We're carrying out the Spirit's desires. But when we go against the Spirit's desires and values, we are resisting the Spirit's work in our midst. We're resisting what the Spirit would have for us. Paul here puts it, what that means is then we are living by the flesh. And that term there, I won't get into a lot of detail, but just to help clarify, that's a technical term for Paul. And really, at the end of the day, living by the flesh means living by, like, the values and desires that are foreign to the kingdom of God, that are really contradictory to Christ or outside of Christ. And the flesh there, it's not pointing to, like, the physical or, or our bodies as if there's something kind of bad or wrong with God's good creation, the good physical creation, Right. And it's not referring to like a particular part of our psychology or, or things like that. It's referring to us as a whole and ter- and our relation to the spirit, either kind of living by or rejecting, resisting. Um, one commentator, Scott McClelland, he puts it this way. He says that, Living by the flesh is is an orientation, overall orientation of a person that motivates the course of life a person will take. That's in relation to Christ and the Spirit. Gordon Fee, in his book, God's Empowering Presence, he says to live by flesh is to live according to the values and desires of life in the present age or aeon that stands in absolute contradiction to God and his way. So again, bringing these together, when one lives by the flesh, one is living by values and desires and all of that that are just contradictory to what the Spirit wants. And when we're doing that, we're resisting the Spirit. And that is a live possibility for Christians and for communities to kind of go back to living by those kinds of values and desires. And they're obvious ones. Paul lists these things out in a number of places. But they're obvious because they're, they're against love. We, we, we just know that they're not good. <laughs> things like hatred and malice and, and backbiting and all these sorts of things. That's contradictory to the Spirit's ways. But when we do those things, we resist the Spirit's work in our midst. So that's one way that we can kind of go against the Spirit. A second, Paul talks about that we can grieve the Spirit as well. Now, Paul talks about this in Ephesians 5, and you've probably heard about this before. The context here is unity. Unity In the spirit, by the spirit, it's in Ephesians 5, verse 4, we get that beautiful verse that there is one body and one spirit. And he goes into kind of talking about the different roles that we have and how we're all unified by the spirit. And before mentioning the idea about grieving the spirit, um, Paul gives us a list of things that really are examples of grieving the spirit. And these are all things that would hurt community, that would even destroy community. So he mentions lying, he mentions stealing, he mentions trash talk, and he even mentions anger that's not properly handled. And after introducing these things, then he says this, And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. You must put away all bitterness, anger, wrath, Whiling and slanderous talk those would be examples of kind of the fleshly way of living. Um, Indeed, all malice, instead be kind to one another, compassionate, forgiving one another, just as God in Christ also forgave you. So there we see it that we can grieve the Holy Spirit. When we hurt each other, when we do these sorts of things that can hurt community, we grieve the Spirit. And that makes sense because when we do these things, we can really hurt and grieve each other. So God, as our compassionate Heavenly Father, it grieves Him. It saddens Him when we hurt each other and when we hurt community. It saddens the Spirit when we hurt community, which is the Spirit's main desire, right? To create good, healthy communities. And it really does grieve the Spirit. That's why the message translation puts it this way. Don't grieve God. Don't break his heart. That's another way of translating it. And so when I hear that again that comparison to Jesus rings out loud and clear, I think of an example of Jesus being grieved in Matthew 9:37 where it says when he looked out over the crowds his heart broke, so confused and aimless they were like sheep with no shepherd. So when we act maliciously to one another in the ways that Paul describes, these are ways that we can grieve the Spirit. So that's the second way that we can hinder the Spirit's work. The third way is that we can actually outright block the Spirit or, or we can quench the Spirit. Paul talks about this in 1 Thessalonians five nineteen. He says there, Do not extinguish the Spirit. Do not treat prophecies with contempt. So there we see that example loud and clear. That there, The example here, the situation must be that they were rejecting prophecy in some way or treating it with a great deal of suspicion. And by doing that, they were quenching the Spirit. They were blocking the Spirit's work. Prophecy is an extremely important gift. It's a way for God to communicate through us some really important truths for our, for our time. So blocking something like prophecy, the Spirit's work through prophecy, you can see how that would be quenching the Spirit. God gives us gifts, and we can utilize them, we can live within them, we can rely on them, or we can quench them, we can block them. I haven't been part of, uh, I can't think of examples where Gifts have been outright blocked. But I can think of, from my past, situations where certain gifts have been maybe treated with more suspicion. And so the people that have those gifts, they're kind of nervous to use them, maybe don't want to use them for fear of ridicule or, you know, just just scared to use them. And I can also think of times in my life where, you know, it's certain gifts are much more popular, so to speak. So it's one of those things that, you know, everyone thinks that they have that particular gift. So those who really have them, they're kind of drowned out. They're not really listened to. So I think those are ways that we can be in danger of quenching the Spirit. And it's important to treat all of this then with humility. Humility knowing that, you know what, I don't have all the gifts, and that's actually a freeing thought. It's important for me to rely on the Spirit and that we can rely on each other Utilizing the gifts that we have and really treasuring the gifts that each of us have and giving each of us opportunity to use them. In that way, we're living by the Spirit and not quenching the Spirit, not blocking the Spirit's work. We're trusting the Spirit, giving the Spirit freedom to work. Okay, so this puts things for me in an important light. When I hear about these ways that we can resist, that we can kind of reject the Spirit by resisting grieving and blocking or quenching the spirit it shows me that you know we've got a part to play in this we've got responsibilities in all of this when we talk about the spirit's work in the church there's a possibility that we won't be led by the spirit and the spirit won't force us in this regard so for our part And I think about our part in this time and the time that we're in right now, because this is so crucial, I think, right, that we live by the Spirit now and during COVID and coming out of COVID. For our part, we are called to live by the Spirit and to be led by the Spirit. And as I said, this is so important and exciting for us in this time, because a big question I think that's on a lot of people's minds, especially on pastors' minds, is what does the post-COVID church look like? And that, for me, that is a question for the Spirit. That's a question we're only going to be able to answer by being led by the Spirit, by living by the Spirit. Because we're not alone in trying to answer <laughs> that question. I love it how Craig Van Gelder and Dwight Gile put it. Now, they're writing before COVID, so they're writing about in a way that's you know pre-all of this. But what they have to say is so relevant. They say, we're not on our own in constructing forms of church life and mission that will speak to people. Rather, we are called into a process of communal discernment and creative experimentation, I like that, grounded in the word of God as our imaginations for God's world are shaped by the Spirit in our communities and in our conversations with our neighbors. So to finish things off, to, to finish things off today and in our series, let me just give you very shortly um, some, how that might look, how it might look to, to rely on the Spirit right now. First off, let's not resist the Spirit then. Let's make sure we live by the values and desires of the Spirit. And this isn't meant to be mysterious in any way. When it comes to values and how God wants us to live, the Bible is actually really clear in this regard. There's so many examples as as we read through of of what God would have for us to love our neighbor as ourselves, to, to love others as Jesus has loved us, to be compassionate, to forgive others, to be grateful, to live with joy and gratefulness. And you know what? I like how Paul puts it just before our verse on extinguishing or quenching the Spirit in 1 Thessalonians. He says, always rejoice, constantly pray, and in everything give thanks, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. God's will for us isn't mysterious. He makes it really clear for us. And that's why I like how that that quote that I gave Van Gelder and Giles. they say that we're grounded in the Word of God. Scripture clearly tells us what god wants for us and as we focus on those things we'll be shaped and so when we make decisions how can they go wrong when we're just choosing love when we're choosing the way of the spirit secondly we make we need to make sure we don't grieve the spirit let's work to build community and avoid doing the types of things that would hurt community third let's not quench the spirit Let's really value the gifts of the Spirit in our midst, the roles that we have, the callings that we have, and let's really rely on each other for those things. Let's really rely on each other so that in that way we can have that creative experimentation. We can have that communal discernment as we're wrestling with these sorts of questions, the question of what's the church look like now. And in all of this, this comes together for me to help us going forward to help us as we live by the Spirit. And I know that this can be confusing, especially if we try and think of this from a big-picture sort of perspective. And the thing is, you know, very very uh, seldom do we get like a big-picture perspective because that's God's realm. That's, that's what God knows. We're, it's too big for us. <laughs> so for our part, I think what this ends up looking like most often is just doing the next right thing. When in doubt, do the next right thing. Who would have thought a kid's movie, Frozen 2, would have such wisdom? (laughs) There's that song in it, do the next right thing. Randy mentions it to me a lot when we're kind of like in doubt what to do. So for us, often that's the way it is, especially during confusing times, which let's face it, we're in one of those right now. It's our job to do the next right thing to do the next spirit-led thing and leave the big-picture aspects to God. We're not on our own in this. All right, let's pray together. Dear Heavenly Father, just thank you so much for today. I thank you for the encouragement that we've heard today that, Holy Spirit, you're always with us. You're always faithful. And you're powerful to, to give us these incredible gifts because you are the great gift to us. We want to be faithful to you, Holy Spirit. So help us not to resist you in any way. Help us not to grieve you. We don't want to grieve you. We want to make you joyous and happy as you see us living faithfully and as you work in and through us. And also, we don't want to quench you, Holy Spirit. We don't want to block your work in our midst. So help us as a peer community and for those watching from other communities, just Help us in that regard so that the Big C Church coming through this time, we could see your, that, Holy Spirit, you work in incredible ways. We need you, Spirit. We say that outright. We can't do anything without you. We need you, especially now. So I just pray that that you would work in these ways, and you would continue to remind each of us some of the things that we have learned through this series, that you would remind us to To live by you, Holy Spirit. To surrender to you and live by you, Holy Spirit. So thanks again and thank you, Heavenly Father, so much for the gift of the Holy Spirit. It's in your name, Jesus, we pray. Amen.